This is episode 145 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are, Your Tactical Training Scenario, Someone is Following Me, When Grocery Stores Go Empty, A Backdoor Shopping Strategy, and 7 Ways to Cook When You Lose Power. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Yeah, I didn't get to check uh, too much information on what was going on in Florida and then uh, where Hurricane Irma was heading and, and what it all looked like. I know from Twitter um, there was a lot of people who had lost power. Um, I think I saw one uh, quick little video on Twitter that said uh, someone was saying that um, this might be like one of the biggest uh, efforts to to string new line in you know ever, um, and I, I saw a headline on Drudge just kind of quickly uh, that said something about people upset because they're not able to go back into uh, unto, in, you know back into the city back to their homes, which uh, man that that sucks you know if you you evacuate. And then the storm is over, and then they're telling you that you can't go. I mean, I can understand if it's not safe and things like that, but um, but still, I mean, that really that really sucks if you leave and then the, you know the authorities don't let you go in there. So I can understand why people would be irate. I didn't have a lot of time today. Was uh, the first day of school for us? You know, with Hurricane Harvey, a lot of the schools were postponed, and uh, our school our school district hadn't started like a, a lot of the other ones. So we started on September 11th. Uh, so, you know, it, w- it was really crazy. Normally, September 11th is a, a day of remembrance, and so they throw out a lot of uh, 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 PowerPoints, and they talk a little bit about it, and they, t- and they honor first responders and, and stuff like that. Uh, but today was, was you know, I, and maybe in the secondary schools they were doing it. I was helping out at a, a new concept school today uh, where it's, uh, it's an elementary, but it's pre-K through second grade. And so uh, most elementary, and our elementaries are pretty big. I mean, w- when we say elementaries are big, uh, we're talking about 800 to 1,000 students. And some are even a little bit bigger than that. So, uh, you know, really big elementary schools. Normally when we talk to other people around the country or you know, other, even other parts of Texas, uh, you know, their elementaries are a lot smaller than that. So if you can imagine, you know, uh, in, in a school, in a regular elementary uh, our size, 800 to 1,000, so some of those are going to be 3rd, 4th, and 5th graders, and a lot of the times they know where they're going. Uh, in this scenario, uh, you have a, a school of 800 plus pre-K through 2nd graders, and a lot of them don't know where they're going, and so, uh, boy, it was it was uh, really, really fun this morning getting those kids off the bus and then getting them, uh, you know, getting them breakfast and then getting them to where they were supposed to go. Um and then of course you have parents who who come in and you and they bring them in, and uh, kids are crying. There's a lot of kids who are crying because they don't want you know their parents to leave them. Uh, there was this one mom that I spoke. Actually, I spoke to a bunch of them, but there, there was this one mom in in particular that uh, I could tell she was having a real hard time. And I said, "Is this your first child that you're you know that's going to school?" And she said, "Yes." I said, "I know it's going to be hard." And of course he was crying. He he wasn't freaking out crying, but he was crying, and I know that it was hard on her. Uh, but uh, uh, like the one of the best things to do is just to, to go ahead and you know tell them tell them you love them, give them a kiss, and then tell them you'll see them right after school, and uh, go ahead and walk away because if not, they're just going to continue to cry and wear themselves out. 
And uh, so she did that, you know, uh, she did that. And then she she went out one door and the kids saw her, you know, leave it, leave. And then, he, you know, he started to settle down. And, but she circled back around to look, you know, through and through one of the other doors. And, uh, you know, by the time she circled back around, he had already stopped crying. I mean, he was sniffling a little bit, but he wasn't crying like he was crying. So, uh, you know, that uh, that kind of helped her you know, a little bit. And so got the got a bunch of kids in, you know, into school. And the first day of school, you want to get them in there. You want to get them fed and you want to get them home uh, correctly. And so that's that's a big chore there. Uh, when you're dealing with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of kids who, who, uh, who even kindergarten, first grade, uh, they don't, they just don't, you know, you, you call their names and they don't even respond to you. And so I, I spent a lot of my morning there and then went back to the office, got some work done and then went back to help him to be a bus buddy. And so what that is, is, you know, you get on the bus and you, you drive their route with them. You ride the, the route with the bus driver and you make sure that the kids that are getting off are the ones that are supposed to be getting off at that route and that there aren't kids left behind. And especially with, you know, pre-Kers and first graders and kindergartners, they're usually worn out that first day. And so you want to make sure that they're not falling asleep on the bus and, and, and those kinds of things. And so everybody hits their, uh, hits their, uh, their bus stop and, you know, everything goes smoothly. So there's always some hiccups the first uh, day, maybe the first couple of days. But uh, it was pretty pretty smooth. But I didn't get home till really really late, so I'm, I'm doing this a lot later than I normally do. Uh, and so uh, you know, anyway, uh, just wanted to kind of just let you know where I was at. I didn't get didn't get to follow up a lot of of what was going on with with uh, Hurricane Irma. This morning, as I was getting out, uh, one of the things that I do uh, try to do every morning is I, I listen to Full Spectrum Survival and Suspicious Observer. Uh, I have them on on a podcast. I'm I'm gonna do an article on how I do that um, because it, it, they're YouTube they're YouTube videos and and how I bring them into my podcast catcher. But one of the videos uh, that was done is to uh, he he been been over at Suspicious Observers put it out that uh, there was another solar flare and this sucker was a solar uh, it was it was a kill shot. Um, it it was just it's just it was just a big man upstairs, right? That the sun had turned enough to where this. Uh, it, they said that it would be like an X twenty X flare, like you know. So the one that popped off uh, last week was a nine point two or nine point something like that. So it was a big one, but not you know one of the big big ones. This one was like twenty, uh, you know, X flare X twenty and above, and it could have been. Uh, you know, an earth kill shot, the way that uh, that they're describing it. And when you look at it on the video, the way that it pops off uh, from the sun, with, that the satellite images grab it, it's just, man, it is it is crazy. And so, uh, man, we, we really, we really missed it there because uh, the sun was turning enough to where it popped off. And so I think it's going to like Mars, Venus, and Mercury. We're going to get brushed a little bit uh, by it. Uh, with a CME, but uh, nothing, nothing like uh, you know, completely ending our, our grid. So uh, if if you're not looking at, you know, if you go to the Facebook group, they automatically get posted there every morning, and so that's an easy way to kind of go and, and do that. Or you can just go to YouTube and find these channels and and like them, and then you know, go hit that every day, uh, go hit that there. But anyway, that's uh, just wanted to point that out, man. We we came close on that one. 
hey, I got you know how I'm always uh, you know asking you to review uh, the the podcast, and I do appreciate those those reviews. I got my first negative review, man, and uh, I, I, it hurts. It hurts. It's from my friends in Australia. Uh, come on, but uh, it's from uh, Sprightly Nat. Uh, and he gave me a one-star review. He gave the podcast a one-star review, and he calls it painful, slow and monotone and hard to listen to. So, sprightly that, I apologize for that. I'm sure there's a lot of other preparedness podcasts out there where the people do not get monotone. I don't think I'm monotone. I think uh, sometimes when I'm reading, uh, that, that could possibly happen. I try not to do that. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to a podcast where I was, well, there you go. But, uh, you know, thank goodness for you that there's a lot of other preparedness podcasts out there. But I'm a big boy. I can take the one-star review. It sucks. It hurts, especially from, from my friends in Australia. But, you know, you know what are you going to do? So you got to take the good with the bad. Our first article comes to us from Active Response Training. And uh, this is another one of those tactical training scenarios. I, I really like these. I think they're good to help you kind of think through things and to process things, uh, you know, things that could possibly be, could happen out there. And I think with the world that the way it, the way it is right now and uh, our economy and how people are going to be suffering and struggling, that um, it's always a, uh, a possibility out there that, you know, something, something bad could happen to you. People could want to harm you and do bad to you for whatever reason. Um, but so I, I like these tactical training scenarios because it kind of walks you through. And, and Greg is a uh, he, he knows what he's doing with the defensive side of it, and so he gives he always gives a lot of good advice. So let's go ahead and read this one. Um, of course, he's always bouncing it off of a real world scenario, and he gives you the uh, he gives you the article that you can go read. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't actually reprint the article here. So let's start on this one. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you noticed someone following your vehicle? It's a pretty common scenario. Most people have thought about it. You probably know enough not to lead the suspicious person back to your home. That's a good start. But unfortunately, that can't be the only play in your playbook. The the man in the story below remembered not to lead the follower to his home. That was a good move. He pulled over in an open field near his house rather than pulling into his driveway. He got out of the car with his gun and shot the man who was following him after the man announced a robbery. Read more about it here. And again, he gives you the, uh, the article. The article is named Man 81. So this was an 81-year-old man. Shoots, uh, uh, shoots man who was trying to rob him. All right, so let's continue with this article. He did well, but he might have been able to avoid the shooting if he planned a little better. Here are a few steps if you ever believe you are being followed. Number one, if you know the area, make several consecutive turns in the same direction. Three or four r- turns, or three or four right turns, should circle you around to roughly your starting position. Most people who aren't following you wouldn't naturally drive like that. If the person is still following you after three or four turns in the same direction, it isn't it it isn't likely to be a coincidence. Don't try to don't try the turn trick if you don't know the area where you are driving. You risk driving to a bad part of town that may put you in a worse position. Number two, get on the phone to police and tell them that you are being followed. Follow the instructions of the dispatcher or officer you talk to, but don't stop. Number three, make sure you are alert for other cars who may be working with the person following you. 
Don't drive too closely to the car in front of you. Don't get boxed in and always leave yourself an escape route. Often robbers will identify a target, follow it to an advantageous location, and then have an accomplice driving in front of the target stop quickly hoping to cause an accident. Don't fall for it. If the vehicle strikes you, don't stop if it isn't safe. Continue to talk to the police and have them guide you to an officer instead. Number four, if circumstances force you to stop, plan your stopping location well. Look for a public place with lots of people around and good escape routes. While the old guy in the story prevailed, he certainly could have picked a better place to stop. Besides a public location, look for a place that has good cover available. An open field isn't best for that purpose. Number five, open your... Once I'm sorry. <laughs> Number five. Once you stop, you have a couple of different strategies. You could wait in your car, still in drive, until the attacker gets out, and then either drive away quickly, buying you a few seconds, or use your car as a weapon if the attacker is a lethal force threat. A 4,000-pound car is a much better stopper than any pistol cartridge ever developed. You could also get out of the car and run to safety or cover. Stationary cars don't make good cover if your attacker starts shooting. If I knew my attacker was going to start shooting, I'd take my chance outside the car if I wasn't in a position to run down the shooter. Number six, no matter what option you choose, use every tactic you can think of to gain the advantage. Turn the car around so you are facing the criminal following you. Get your bright headlights in his eyes. If you bail out, trigger the car alarm to draw some more attention to yourself and the attacker. Number seven, if you are armed and feel the need to draw your gun, don't do it until the car is stopped. I'm aware of several instances where cops had drawn weapons during vehicle pursuits to be better prepared for an ensuing gunfight when the target vehicle stopped. In some of these cases, cops dropped the guns or had them slide away when they came to a sudden stop or crashed. In the famed FBI Miami gunfight, one agent had his pistol under his leg on the seat for a faster draw. His car crashed and the gun slid under his seat. He spent most of the gunfight looking for his lost pistol. Don't make the same mistake. Predatory movement patterns, like when a suspicious person follows you, are often the first indication you are being targeted for an attack. Learn how to recognize these movement patterns and come up with a plan to counter them effectively. Alright, so uh, there's not a lot of links in here other than the one that he gives you to the article, but there are links afterwards. Um, that are related and so if you're if you like these tactical scenario uh, posts and articles you can go uh, click on he's got five other ones that might be uh, interesting for you to go check out so uh, again that's over at active response training and uh, you know that's a good good idea if, you, if you're in your neighborhood you might want to know where the nearest police station is uh, you might want to know where the nearest you know fire department is uh, you know those kinds of places so if you have to you can drive over there and uh, you already know where they're at. So that might be something you might want to go ahead and, 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 and just be familiar with. Uh, definitely help you. But yeah, be smart about what, you know, what's going on and, and pay attention. You know, um, Texas just passed a law that, you know, that it is that you will get a ticket if you're uh, texting and driving uh, or on your phone for, you know, I, I believe it's for, you're on your phone for whatever reason. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's that's uh, one one thing less to distract you, you know. So make sure that you are paying attention and you are paying attention to cars that are, you know, uh, following you around and stuff like that. I had a, a, f- a friend in college whose 
uh, father, you know, so they pulled in right as he pulled into his garage, and he they lived in a uh, like in a town home. So we're all these you know garage garage apartment type things. Uh, we're very close together, and before he could close the garage door, uh, a car came in right behind him, and uh, you know was forcing him to. Uh, they, they wanted him to get into his uh, to his trunk, and he said, "I'm not getting into my trunk." Because he was like, man, if I get into my trunk, I'm gonna, they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. He says, I'm not getting into the trunk. Here's my wallet. Here's my keys. You can take it and go. And uh, I can't remember what exactly happened. I think they did take his wallet. And, they, and uh, I don't think they wind up taking the car. Uh, but, you know, he didn't. He, like, he completely refused. And so that's another thing that you got to be careful with, right? When you get into your, you're coming into your garage, make sure that no one comes, comes in right behind you. So, uh, you know, a lot of things to think about there. But uh, again, I think it is a, a good idea to know where your police uh, police stations and fire departments are to where you can go. And, uh, you know, if you have to, you can go and make a stop over there. All right. This next article comes to us from askaprepper.com. And uh, it's uh, when grocery stores go empty, a backdoor shopping strategy. And basically, it's this idea of, uh, you know, the poop has hit the fan. And so you're making that last uh, run to the store. I remember posting, there's, there's been a couple of, of articles like this. And actually, I think I've written my own article, very familiar, like uh, similar to this. Um, but uh, I remember linking to one early on in Prepper website. And people were... Uh, the the guy who owned the website, he emailed me back and he said, Hey Todd, can you do me a favor and kind of like ease up? Like, don't, I've never had anyone like tell me, you know, please don't link to my articles. But I, I think he got so much grief for his article because it was back in the day, uh, that, you know, people were like, yeah, you, you should already be prepped. You shouldn't have to go do that and whatever. And, and so the idea is that, you know, you might be prepped, but if you see things that are happening, there might be some things that you might want to go and, and top off. There might be some things that you might want to go and, and get. Maybe you're not completely uh, where you, where you want to be. And so that idea is that, you know, you're going. Now, my 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 whole purpose for being prepared and the, one of the big reasons why I, I always say stay aware, be, you know, stay aware of what is going on in the world so that you can see what is happening before it all really kind of goes down. So if you are familiarizing yourself with some of the scenarios and the things that people prep for, some of the articles that I talk about, maybe it's economic collapse, maybe it's nuclear, maybe whatever it might be. If you're familiarizing yourself with these kinds of scenarios and then you start hearing things that are start to happen, then you can say, you know what, I have this tingly feeling inside, my spidey senses are going off, that something is going to happen. So you go in and you, you can top off there. So my idea is always that I'm going to be so aware of what's going on that I'm going to uh, I'm going to be able to you know to get to the store a little bit ahead of everybody else uh, when when things uh, you know hit the fan and the the poop hits the fan uh, a lot of other considerations so but let me go ahead and read this article and then I'll come back and uh, share a few more things uh, that that I'm thinking about when I'm reading this article all right so let's go ahead and start. As a prepper or survivalist, we all typically pride ourselves on being prepared for SHTF situations. At any given time, we usually have a good amount of non-perishable food stored, as well as options for hunting, fishing, trapping, and gardening. However, not everybody is quite this prepared for a worst-case scenario. 
Despite our best efforts, many of us will be forced to join the masses and head to the grocery store to stock up for the days or weeks to come. If that happens, this is your guide to surviving the ordeal and coming out with a good amount of needed nutrition. How to avoid the grocery store. Before we delve into the chaos of the grocery store, I must emphasize how much more effective it can be to avoid the store completely. If you have the means by which to stock up on dry and canned goods in advance, please do it. In addition, my family always has woods for hunting, a pond for fishing, a garden for vegetables, fruit trees for peaches and apples, and even a trap line. We have grapevines, wild edibles, mulberry trees, and blackberry bushes. We can vegetables and meat, make jerky, keep hard tack, make pemmican, and help homemade gr- and keep homemade granola on hand. If we were to lose the power grid, we would still have food for months, if not years. This is the ideal setup to avoid the grocery store when SHTF. Now what to expect at the store? Have you ever been shopping on Black Friday? Imagine that, but add in the variable that everybody is fighting for their lives. Yes, it will be that insane. Initially, people will assume that power will be restored within a few days, so perishable versus non-perishable will not be a huge factor. Milk, eggs, bread, butter, meat, produce, and pre-made meals will go first. These aisles will either be picked over or will be a war zone, so you are best to avoid them completely. Batteries, alcohol, cigarettes, and toilet paper will also go fast. After 72 hours, people will start to realize that this problem could be long-term. At this point, there will be a large focus on canned goods and dried goods. In order to come home with anything of value, you need to have a strategy for going into the store. Phase 1. When you make your first pass through the store, you should be trying to target the high-value items that other people may be overlooking. We are assuming that you are shopping on day one of the panic, so you will have some opportunity. Your first sweep should be focused on non-perishable items. This includes rice, pasta, beans, powdered milk, juice, powdered eggs, jerky, boxed meals, canned goods, pickled items, dried fruit, nuts, popcorn, cereal, crackers, or anything else which does not have to be refrigerated or frozen. Also, look for any toiletry items that may be overlooked. Everybody will go for toilet paper, but items like deodorant, toothpaste, soap, shampoo, razors, and shaving cream can make like life much easier for you and your family. Many people will be thinking short-term like they might think during a major snowstorm. They cannot comprehend that the disaster could last weeks or even months. Take advantage of their na- naivety. Phase 2. After collecting as many of the neglected high-value items as you can, you can move on to the items that almost everybody forgets. At this point, you will be in aisles that are largely devoid of people. Hit the baking aisle for flour, oats, sugar, oil, and spices. You can make all kinds of different foods with these ingredients. Go after disposable items such as cups, paper plates, silverware, and paper towels. With limited water for cleaning dishes, these items can really help. Pick up cleaning supplies for the kitchen, bathroom, and laundry. Get medical supplies such as aspirin, bandages, Benadryl, and acid, prescriptions, rubbing alcohol, iodine, chapstick, and petroleum jelly. Raid the vitamin aisle for multivitamins, protein shakes, energy bars, and supplements. Pick up some chocolate bars for an occasional treat and for bartering with other people. It may sound weird, but get some wet and dry dog food as a last resort for nutrition. It is certainly better than nothing if your other food runs out, and you can use it as a bait for trapping as well. There is probably a random aisle that may have charcoal, flashlights, candles, cordage, super glue, and air freshener. Even books or magazines are a good idea to keep everybody sane during your disaster. 
All of these are items that are normally left on the shelf when people are panicking about survival. Go after these items before you leave. You do not want to make more than one trip to, the, to this madhouse. General caution. Before you enter the store, be, a rea be realistic about what you are going to face. There will be fights over a gallon of milk. People will be trampled. Someone may even open fire to clear out an aisle. This is a very dangerous scenario. As you move through the store, be the gray man. Blend in and do not bring attention to yourself. Move quickly. Do not run. If there is conflict in one area of the store, move to another. Avoid paying with cash if possible so nobody is tempted to try and rob you. Bring a way to defend yourself, but do not pull it out unless you have no other choice. Working through this store will be a bit like escaping from a riot. With some caution and a little luck, you will get the items you need and get out fine. While none of us want to think about being forced into this scenario, inevitably it will happen to some people. The key is organization and preparation. Do not run into the store and go nuts like everybody else. Be methodical about the items you target. If you go after the items that others forget, you will get more of what you need with very little chance of conflict. Follow this strategy and your pantry will be stocked to last throughout the end of your SHTF scenario. All right. So uh, as you can imagine, there's going to be a lot of comments here. There's 42 comments. Uh, there's you, you've got to go read the comments because there's some uh, there's some that are you know eye opening there. Um, so m again, my my idea is, and and the way that I pursue it, uh, my my I guess my the way that I see it in my head, right, is that I would be going before it is total chaos. And so, uh, you know, I'm paying attention. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm aware of what's going on for how, you know, all the various means that are out there to, to find out how things are. And then I'm really not even going home. I'm going to go straight to the store from work or maybe I take off from work or maybe I, you know, tell my, you know, hey, I need a half a day or whatever it is. Or you just leave and you go. And if it's going to be a real SHTF scenario and you feel it is then maybe you just pick up and leave and you go to the store and you, you take care of it and uh, you, you get what you need and you, you get out. And so, you know, that's, that's, again, that's my philosophy, I guess, is what I was trying to say is that you, you are so aware of what's going on, uh, you know, and you're paying attention that you are able to make that, uh, make that call early, early on before it gets to, like he had mentioned, 72 hours out, you know, no, you don't want to be in a grocery store 72 hours out. I don't even really think, you know, once people really get a whiff of what we're talking about. Uh, and, you know, I think that for the first maybe couple of hours, maybe even even the first day, I think, you know, things are going to be, people are going to be in shock. If it's a real true SHTF scenario, People are going to be in shock. People are going to be glued to their cell phones. People are going to be glued to social media. People are going to be posting things on social media. They're going to be doing all those kinds of things, maybe going to the television, maybe all that kind of stuff. And that's when, when all that stuff is happening, that's when you're moving and you're moving very quickly and you're going to the store and you're getting and you're topping off and you're buying things that maybe you've been holding off on getting and you're, you know, you're making sure that you can get those things. A lot of people will say, don't even go to the store. Have all your preps ahead of time. I, you know, I totally understand that, but some people can't do that. Some people can't afford that. Uh, but if you knew that you were, it was going to be a true SHTF scenario, 
you might be willing to charge up the credit card a little bit on that if you really knew that it was a real SHTF scenario, right? Um, and so you, you might be willing to do that. Um, if, if you're in a scenario where, uh, and he, they mentioned it here in this article, uh, don't pay cash if you, if you don't have to. You want to hang on to cash because if it's an economic thing, if you can use your credit card, if they're still taking credit cards, you want to use that up as much as you can. And then when they stop doing that, they start saying, hey, I'm just taking cash. Uh, you know, hey, all right, so you have cash. And so you have, should have some cash at home. In that case, if you don't carry a, you know, enough cash around with you, then you, you probably would have to go home or you probably wouldn't, you know, the bank, if it's an economic uh, situation, they might be shutting down. You might not be able to have access to that, um, you know. Um, and, and so that's another thing, right? If, if you think things are shutting down, and it's an economic thing, your first stop might want to be to an ATM machine and see if you can you can withdraw money, you know, because uh, a lot of people are going to be probably going there. So, uh, you know, that's one thing that you probably want to, uh, you want to know where a couple of ATM machines are between maybe work and your house and where you can stop off and you can try to withdraw as much, much money as you can. But, uh, yeah, of course, the best scenario is to have as much, you know, preps as you can. Uh, you know, in, in your house and be ready to go. But, you know, there's always those things that you want to top off. You might have a list in the back of your mind. You might have a list that you just pull out and, uh, you know, you've talked it over with uh, your spouse if they're comfortable with prepping. Maybe you just, you know, maybe they're not. Maybe this you're on your own. And, um, you know, you have a list that you're able to just to pull out. And, uh, and when you go to the grocery store, you're able to go and get what you need and get out. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be good to go there. So, I, I, again, I, the key for me is always that you're staying prepped and you're staying aware. And, you know, you're, you're beating the crowd to all of this. Just like, you, you know, we beat the crowd to, you know, to the store when we were preparing for Hurricane Harvey. You know, we, you know, we have, we can, we have our food storage, we have all that kind of stuff, but you know what? We wanted, we wanted to make sure that we had some, some, some extra milk. We want to have a couple of, you know, loaves of bread. We wanted to make sure that we had some uh, fresh fruit. And that's the one thing I talked about uh, in the previous podcast is like nobody bought fresh fruit. That was crazy. It's like fresh fruit. There was tons of it. So, uh, you know, we, we stocked up on fresh fruit so that we can eat fruit and uh, we could have that. Uh, to eat as you know if we were going to be you know locked down in the house for a while but there were some things that we wanted to get we didn't have to get but they were nice to get and we could get them because we went way ahead of time and uh, you know we didn't have to worry about fighting you know all the crowds and everything Uh, you know they were they were starting to they were starting to show up and people were starting but there were like those early early preparers uh, people that maybe they learned their lessons from other hurricanes and uh, they didn't want to uh, they didn't want to get left without anything. So that's over at askaprepper.com. There's a lot of links throughout this one as well. But again, the comment section uh, you're going to want to go check out the comment section. There's a lot of there's a lot of comments there and, and good information. All right, so I wanted to read this next article. This comes to us from foodstoragemoms.com. Uh, it's seven ways to cook when you lose power. And uh, I'm familiar with uh, like two of these, but uh, there's you know about five, maybe 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 one of these actually when you kind of just really put it down to it. But I wanted to read these to you. Uh, I think these are uh, interesting, and you might want to look into these and do a little bit more 
uh, research on them yourself. So there might be some interesting ones here. So uh, ways to cook when you lose power. So let's get started on this one. Today it's all about seven ways to cook when you lose power. Yes, we will all lose power at some time or another. It may be a day, three days, three weeks, or three months. I told you a few days ago I hired a professional photographer to take pictures of some of my preparedness items so I don't have to haul them when I speak to teach classes. The pictures are large so people in the back of the room can see them. I also had her make a slideshow. I'm not really keen on PowerPoint presentations, but one group requested one so I will use that one this week. You may know September of every year is National Preparedness Month, so September is always a busy month for me. Please feel free to share these tips with other people so they can be prepared when they lose power. Here's the deal. There may be some items you can use and some you will not be able to use. For instance, the sun oven. If your location has limited sunshine, you would not want to purchase a sun oven. It needs a lot of sunshine. Here in southern Utah, I think we have close to 350 days of sunshine a year. It's a perfect place to use one year round. Here are my favorite cooking devices when we lose power. The sun oven. The pros are no fuel required, only sunshine is needed. You can bake anything in a sun oven that you can bake in your conventional oven if you can get the sun oven up to the temperature required to bake your meal. I gauge my cooking around 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. I have the most consistent sunshine during this time period where I live. No special recipes are required. If the pan fits in inside the sun oven, you can bake it. It will pay for itself very quickly because you need zero fuel to cook a meal. Cons. It won't work without adequate sunshine. Make sure you use glass baking pans or dark pans. Shiny pans will reflect the heat away from the item being baked. It will not fry chicken. Actually, it will only bake. It will not fry anything. You can use any cooking device if you want to fry some food. Some may think it's a bit pricey, but you may want to consider buying the sun oven without any accessories. If you have pans that fit inside the ovens, you don't need to buy the package that includes the baking pans. So uh, not too long ago, we did do the Sun Oven webinar, and there was that special offer. I thought it was a great deal, and it came with a ton of items and a ton of stuff. I think that um, the Sun Oven is, uh, is a good deal, and the Sun Oven is one of the, uh, you know, because I've looked at other solar ovens as well. The Sun Oven is really, really uh, well built. Um, it has a lot of, uh, it's very, very sturdy and uh, it's just really well designed. So if you, if you see that there's another webinar, if you're interested in, in getting one, if you see that there's another webinar, uh, you might want to just be a part of that so that you can get that special price because I think that's, uh, it's, uh, it's really a good deal. And uh, it is something that uh, I think everybody, you know, if you are one of those people that you're anticipating uh, the day when there is going to be an SHTF and things are going to collapse, fuel will be a very uh, you know important resource. And so you want to save your fuel for whenever you really need it. Uh, but having a sun oven uh, will greatly help you to be able to cook what you need. All right, so let's move on. The next uh, way to cook is a volcano stove. The pros. The great thing about a volcano stove is the fact that you can use wood, charcoal, and propane. Please check if you decide to buy one because there are two different adapters for using the volcano stove. The unit will come with either the small propane canister adapter or the large propane tank adapter. I have both, but I prefer using the large adapter. So just check on the package to see which, which size comes with the one you are purchasing. 
I love buying things I can use for emergencies like when we lose power or if we go camping. Mine came with a zippered bag and other handy items, but the fuel fits compactly inside the larger heavy-duty bag if you want more options for transport and storage. This is a perfect camping item because you can cook on top of a picnic table if it's sturdy. So, uh, and there's also a link there for the adapter. Cons. The Volcano stove must be used outside because it uses propane wood and charcoal. I guess it's really not a con, but I want to make sure you realize it's perfect for cooking outside only. Some people may think they are a bit pricey, but I see it this way. It can use three different types of fuel. Until you run out of fuel, this is a great stove. Thermal cooker. The pros. It uses very little fuel once you bring the food to a boil. I use a butane stove. Using the inner pan for four, for four full minutes, then quickly put it in the outside thermal cooker and lock it closed. It now becomes like a slow cooker. Please do not put frozen food in this gym. It will not defrost and cook the food. You don't need any particular recipe because it works similar to a slow cooker. It's great for frying sloppy joes and it will keep them warm for four to six hours after the four full minutes of boiling. You can make chili as you do not as you do now with cooked beans, fried meat, and bringing it to a boil for a full full for a for four full minutes. Place the inner pan inside the outer thermal cooker, set and forget. It will keep it warm for four to six hours. Bonus. If you make a salad, place the salad inside the inner pan and place it in the refrigerator overnight. The next morning, place the inner pan inside the thermal cooker and lock it closed. It will keep your food cold for four to six hours. Perfect for a family reunion. It's perfect for ball games, busy families, and traveling. It uses very little fuel. I love it for traveling and for those times we lose power. The cons. Do not use a tough piece of meat because it may still be tough after you use a thermal cooker. I have a friend, Kendra, who made a small pork roast that turned out delicious. But it was a small roast and she added potatoes, carrots, and onions. She covered it with liquid to within one inch of the top of the thermal cooker. You need some type of stove, I use a butane one, to bring the roast, carrots, potatoes, and onions with some liquid to a boil for four full minutes. Then place the inner pan inside the outer thermal cooker and lock it shut. Buy tender meat, buy tender meat just giving you the heads up here. It will be cooked in four to six hours. So uh, I don't have uh, any familiarity with the thermal cooker, but that is one that I might want to look into. Uh, because I think that if you, so what I'm hearing here is, uh, and, and I've done articles before, I just uh, really is kind of just uh, just been outside of, of, of uh, what I've really been looking for, but now I'm kind of like interested in it. Um, if you cook it for four minutes, anything with a liquid, and then you put it in this thermal cooker for four to six hours, and, uh, and then it cooks, it cooks it. So, I mean, that's crazy. So uh, it looks like one of the links, it's about $150, uh, $150, uh, the Saratoga Jack 7-liter thermal cooker deluxe. And so it looks like a pretty handy little little item there, and it has, uh, you know, pots and stuff with it. You might want to check her link on that one. Uh, it might be pretty interesting, might be worth it to, to look into that one. All right, moving on. The Kelly Kettle. The pros. I love my Kelly kettle because you can use twigs, dry leaves, or pine cones to cook with this awesome stove outside. The fuel is practically free if you have some pine cones near where you live. I store them in buckets. 
It boils water and food very quickly. Mine came with a bag that I can use to store it. The cons. I have to give a con only because you can only use it outside. It will not hold a heavy pan on top. It would be a little unstable. But you can make small pans or soup or boil water within minutes, literally. The butane stove. I like my butane stove because I use it indoors. I'm a nervous Nelly, so I crack a window. Now, the box on some butane stoves say, say they must be used outside. Please refer to the instructions on the one you purchase. I taught so many classes inside stores with a butane stove and everything was fine. Just use your own judgment. I gave all four of my daughters one of these so in case they lose power, they can still boil water or cook a meal. And there's a link for butane fuel there. Uh, cons. I love these, so the only con I can give it is once you run out of fuel, you can no longer cook a meal. I used one canister of butane for six weeks, cooking one meal a day. Now, I only cooked food for two, so keep that in mind. Uh, that might be you know, something that you might want to look into. Um, someone recently, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, um, recently, early on in the, in the, um, in the podcast, sent me a link to the butane stove because I think I think it came up in one of those one of the the articles that we were reading and uh, I really had never really looked into it before and so we kind of went back and forth looking at the butane stove and uh, I thought it was interesting there's uh, if you if you YouTube it um, you know it's very popular in uh, like Asian cultures uh, where you you'll see uh, the small little butane stove and it's like a it'll just be like one uh, one burner but it's a small little, uh, you know, uh, you know the small little propane canisters that you get. This is going to be like smaller. This is going to be like the size of a paint can, I guess. And uh, you just put it in this little compartment and you go to town from there. And uh, so that might be something you might want to look into if you're not wanting to buy a big like, uh, you know, like a Coleman uh, camp stove or something like that. All right. So uh, the next one is a camp chef stove or oven, camp chef stove oven. So this is a stove in an oven kind of put together. All right, the pros is the positive thing for this stove oven combo is I can make pancakes, break, bake bread, and boil water all with one unit. Keep in mind I use only the large adapter for the larger tanks of propane. The oven will hold, hold a 9-inch by 13-inch baking pan, perfect for lasagna or your favorite casserole. The cons. The only con would be if you run out of propane, you cannot use the stove oven combination. No fuel, no cooking or baking. The Lodge 6-Quart Dutch Oven. The pros. You can bake bread, biscuits, or make just about any recipe you want if you have charcoal stored. You can boil water, make soups, and make a peach cobbler to name a few of my favorites. I buy charcoal briquettes with lighter fluid, without lighter fluid because they will store indefinitely if stored in airtight containers. I prefer a Lodge 6-Quart Dutch Oven because they are not as heavy for me to carry or move as an 8-Quart Dutch Oven. The cons. If you run out of fuel, you can bake or cook anything. You can't bake or cook anything. I hope today's post gives a few tips on how to cook when you lose power. There are many other ways as well. Uh, these are my favorites I wanted to show you today. May God bless you and your family to be prepared for the unexpected. On uh, the Dutch oven, when you're doing cast iron, the preferred method is charcoal, right? Um, so you want to have charcoal. I know, you know, when we went camping, when we were Boy Scouts, we always had charcoal. We would do, you know, the peach cobbler thing. Uh, we always had a, you know, the Scoutmaster would always make a peach cobbler, and we loved it. 
and you always use charcoal. You can use wood. Uh, and so when when you uh, when you think when you're thinking about that, you can use wood to do it. You would just have to manage it a little bit more carefully. Uh, there, I haven't seen an article on it in a long, long time. I bet I I think there still is that article on Prepper website. I need to find it. Uh, but I remember linking to an article that talked about how to uh, how to be able to cook uh, with Dutch oven and with cast iron with wood and so there's ways of doing that so just i, I wanted to point that out there um, you do you're going to have to do a little bit of trial and error and, and uh, work with that a little bit um, i i really like the updraft um uh you know like wood gasifier stoves you can buy cheap versions of uh like uh, the solo stove i did a review on the solo stove i really like the solo stove it's built very very well it's very sturdy um when you you can put any kind of fuel pine cones you know kind of anything in there kind of like the volcano stove and it's very very it burns it very very efficiently and uh you know there's a way to kind of keep feeding the fire if you need to but um by the time when, when it all finishes when when the fire goes out and you look into the solo stove i mean it's all burned down to ash i mean you just to kind of dump it out and and knock it out and it's just it's all complete ash it burns it so well and so even if you have a little bit, you know, they, they go get down to charcoals or whatever, you can start throwing other material in there and it'll fire right back up. And so it, again, it burns very efficiently. So if you're boiling water, making soup, you know, doing those kinds of things, I really like uh, the, the solo stoves for that. Um, there's other, like I said, cheaper versions on uh, in Amazon that you can find. Um, but, you know, there's always uh, the camp grill or the camp, uh, you know, the Coleman type stove that you can get. And then, uh, if you have a, if you, if you're someone who likes to barbecue and you have a, a gas grill outside and you might have a burner already, uh, attached to that. And, um, you know, that's what I used when, uh, I was making coffee, you know, the morning that we had lost power, um, during Hurricane Harvey. And I took pictures of that and actually, uh, did, um, it's gotten a lot of hits already. Uh, but, you know, have that, that article up on Ed That Matters. Uh, my experiences with Hurricane Harvey, and so uh, I mean that's what I used. Uh, we we uh, heated up dinner on that on that uh, burner, and I made coffee the next morning uh, with that with that burner. And so uh, you know if you have that, you you have a, an outside cooking source already. You might want to grab uh, one or two more propane tanks on that. So uh, that's uh, some good good advice there. You need to have multiple ways to cook. Uh, that's just that's just important if if uh, the poop hits the fan or if you just lose power and uh, you need to cook um, I have gas in my house and so we have a gas stove but I don't want to when like Hurricane Harvey when it hit I didn't want to turn on the gas stove or the gas oven to do any kind of cooking but that because that heats up the house so much more and so uh, you know if you if you have that in the inside you don't want to do that you want to be able to cook outside uh, so that you're not uh, heating up the house and that goes for summertime cooking as well uh, you're cooking during the summertime you might not want to heat up start you know start up your oven and uh, heat up the whole house it takes longer for the house to cool down but uh, you know so you always you always have that uh, to, to think about so all right hey guys it's another podcast uh, down for the week uh, I'm so glad that you uh, that you're here and uh, you are a listener to the Prepper website podcast. Even if you are going to give me one star reviews, I am not bitter. No, not at all. 
Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, hey, I appreciate all the feedback that I really do appreciate the feedback that I get. Uh, and so if you, uh, if you, if you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, you, you know, you can always come to the, the Prepper website podcast and leave me uh, a message on the comment section. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, uh, that way. Love, love it also when you share out, uh, the, the podcast with, uh, your friends on social media or even on forums. If you're dropping it on forums or you're just letting people know, uh, that we're out here. Uh, you know, we're trying to, we, 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 we do it. We're, we're not really getting anything for it. <laughs> uh, we, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll just continue going as long as, I guess, as long as I'm having fun, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate, like I said, again, I appreciate the feedback and I am having fun doing it. It's a, it's a kick. I look forward to doing it every evening. All right. And so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.